welcome back to the Heartland Pod. It's me, Rachel Parker, and uh, smiling at me on the on the Zoom screens is um, friend of the pod, Pat Garafalo. Welcome back, Pat. Hey, thanks. It's always so good to be here. I'm, it's always a it's always a, a shock to me when people come back. It means that we didn't screw it up so badly, <laughs> or that I really, in this case, didn't screw it up so badly the first time. You so, know, my my mom said I did a really good job the first time, so I have to come back. She did. <laughs> thanks, mom. Is it Mrs. Is it Mrs. Garafalo? It is. Yes. Thank you, Mrs. Garafalo. Thanks for listening, and um, I'm gonna take some part in that compliment, I guess. Hopefully, I didn't let you embarrass yourself. Um, so, if you could remind folks about uh, a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then um, we'll talk a little bit about kind of where we left off the last time. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm the Director of State and Local Policy for the American Economic Liberties Project and uh, an organization called Fight Corporate Monopolies. Our whole gig is trying to reduce corporate power um, through both legal, regulatory, um, and political means. Um, and I'm the author of a book called The Billionaire Boondoggle, which is all about how states and cities goof up their economic development through handing out too many subsidies to corporations. And I write a newsletter um, based on the issues that I covered in that book that is also called Boondoggle, and you can find that on Substack. I had followed you for a while and we'd kind of Twittered back and forth here and there um, because our interests are quite, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlapping kind of interests that, that I have with what you follow because of my uh, drive to uncouple the kind of corporate interests from Missouri politics. Um, Missouri politics is driven, is driven primarily by a, a passion to re- deregulate absolutely everything including get rid of any publicly funded institutions, public tax infrastructure and things like that. And so you wrote a, a substack called Nicole Galloway is my favorite politician or something. And I was like, hello, <laughs> come on my podcast. So we spent a little, a lot of time talking about the impact of corporate TIFFs, uh, which are basically gigantic tax giveaways to companies that want to, you know, invest in local communities by way of, you know, an Amazon warehouse or something like that. And we talked about how that ends up basically robbing the local community of needed money for things like public schools, public roads. Um, I mean, basically anything that's publicly funded, they completely get the short shrift by these TIF projects, but the, the, co- the company and the lawmakers that basically bleed themselves out to get these companies to come to their local areas all get to pat themselves on the back because they get to pretend like it's a jobs program. So that's what your book Boondoggle is about. Um, but since you've kind of stepped away from journalism and since you've moved to um, American Economic Liberties, you have taken on kind of a newer role in decoupling politics from corporate America. And what really uh, interested me in having you back on is that I want you to talk a little bit about Fight Corporate Monopolies, which is the name of the organization that you currently help run. And how your objective basically is to be kind of like an Alec for the left, right? Am I, I am I am I doing that right? I feel like I pulled that from one of your tweets. <laughs> There's something like that. Yeah, that's what the American Prospects said when we launched um, a new project. It's a task force made up currently of state lawmakers um, from across the country. The goal here is to build up political power. Um, both in state and then across states and to get folks who are interested in challenging corporate power and doing that work on the ground connected to each other, connected to good policy ideas. Um, So we launched the task force through Fight Corporate Monopolies through the American Economic Liberties Project. We put out a series of toolkits 
on um, policy ideas for challenging corporate power at the state and local level, whether that's reforming antitrust, tackling corporate subsidies, uh, taking on the challenges of big tech. And I actually think that last one is really important because as we've seen, that's something the right is really interested in co-opting and it would be a really big mistake for the left to allow the right to co-opt the, the, the fight against big tech because those corporations are really dangerous. Um, but the idea here, right, is to build this movement across the country, start doing things at the state, state and local level both because it's really important and states and cities have a lot of power uh, to shape their own local economies, but because a lot of that stuff filters up to the federal level. If you look at the history of antitrust law in the U.S., a lot of it started at the state level. You look at the first rules around railroads and common carriers and pharmacists and bank lending, the first credit caps. All of that stuff happened at the state level and the feds kind of dragged along into doing it, kicking and screaming. Uh, so we think it's really, really important um, to do that. And also something you notice in doing this work is when you find the folks who are interested and in, in doing the uh, challenging corporate power in, in states and cities, when you find them, they kind of like feel a little alone, right? It can be a really lonely thing to do because um, those are hard political battles. You're always going up against a ton of money and a ton of lobbyists and a ton of nonsense. Um, and so the, the folks who are kind of in the trenches on that stuff just feel like they don't have support. Um, and so one of our big goals is to provide that support, not just through ourselves, but through connecting folks across the country who are working on this stuff and saying, yeah, you're not alone. There are great folks in New York, in Minnesota, in Montana, in Arizona, in Florida, in Kentucky, who are doing this work. Um, and so we can all share ideas, share tactics, share what works, share what doesn't, learn from uh, the battles we're all taking on across the country. So we're very excited about it. It's really cool stuff, I hope. And um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're psyched know, for I where know. it's going to go. I know you and I think it's cool stuff. I think some other people might actually like quip like, is it cool? It is to us. I think it's very cool. So talk a little it's bit also, about- right? It's also like the great kind of economic challenge of our time is concentrated it is. corporate it is. power. And, and, it like, and it's just concentrated corporate power is just upstream from so many of the problems that we have. If you look at who controls the way we talk, talk online, who controls where we shop, who controls how public resources are used in our community, who controls how much we're paying for things every day? Who controls our housing stock? It's it's all downstream from concentrated corporate power. And you, you can just go industry by industry by industry and see how over the last 50, 60 years, because of a concerted effort on the part of mostly conservatives, but also way too many Democrats, um, every industry has been allowed to consolidate. There are just a few players in almost every industry across the board. And it's just a huge problem. And, and, and all the things we say we care about provisioning of public goods, income inequality, racial justice, you need to tackle concentrated corporate power in order to get at them. What I think is really interesting, so I'm, I am older than you are, um, and I remember the first wave of conversation about corporate influence in politics and when it really started to take root in the early 2000s, and I always felt like the conversation was a little bit too it wasn't class-based enough. I felt like as much as I respected and admired a lot of the people that were at the WTO protests and were at the um, Democratic Party protests in Los Angeles, because that's where they had the convention uh, in, it was the Gore's convention. So I guess that would have been 99, 2000, whenever that was. As much as I appreciated their stance, I was like, I think you're talking about the wrong end of the horse. I think when you go into rooms full of people who, who need jobs and who need to pay a mortgage and you start talking about 
lending rates from for the World Trade Organization and what the World Trade Organization is globally, I was like, I think people are going to glaze over and they're going to be like, OK, college kid, good for you. You took your little <laughs> econ class or whatever. So talk about I'd love to hear your perspective on how uh, since then, since the Occupy movement, 10 ish years after that, um, really took this idea from kind of corporate power globally to corporate power domestically and how the left helped shift it to a much more uh, sort of working class conversation about um, wages for working people, the top 99% and so on and so forth. Because I think that's a huge paradigm shift that I witnessed in my lifetime. Totally. I think that's right. I think you can trace that one to the financial crisis, right? Where a bunch of banks behaved really, really badly, nearly crashed the world. And then Basically, nothing happened to them. So I think that's step one. And then honestly, I throw the pandemic in as step two, just in doing this for the last few years. I think the pandemic really drove home for a lot of folks, both in office and then just, you know, normal folks living their lives, um, just how much we rely on and depend upon particular corporations and how dangerous that can be. Suddenly, we were so dependent on Amazon for so many things. And then to turn around and see them coming into community after community and asking for giant tax subsidies and asking for regulations to be changed and creating all these awful jobs that are hurting people and are terrible and, you know, you can't even- And hindering organizations and, and really kneecapping their workers' abilities to organize around unions was another one that was just kind of like just gutting a hundred percent and so that like really drove home for a lot of folks hey this isn't good hey we've kind of lost control of the economic choices like of what's happening in our local economy we no longer control that at the local level and that's not good for us and that means that we're basically beholden to whatever you know jeff bezos and mark zuckerberg and whoever want wants it's going to smush down on us um so i think those two kind of seismic events, um, and, you know, for, for someone who's my age, um, you know, you thought, hey, the financial crisis is going to be the the kind of generation defining, womp, womp. Yeah. defining event. And then, you get <laughs> too. Yeah. Got another one. Yeah. Um, but but I think those really drove home just how how dangerous corporate power in our community is and has driven have driven a lot of the um, interest and uptick um, in trying to address it. I've just seen a noticeable um, increase in folks, uh, some for good reasons, some for bad. Um, but but coming out of the woodwork and saying, okay, there are, there are problems here, and that this clearly highlighted how we don't have control over our own resources in our community. And now I like look around and realize that we're handing out tax breaks to all these unsavory characters. And like, I can't find a job or the only job I can find is in an Amazon warehouse. And there's something really messed up about that. And that really hits literally close to home because we, uh, an Amazon worker was, was killed quite unnecessarily in a tornado that struck down um, in the, the sort of the St. Louis metro area. Uh, he lives here, so it's something Corey Bush has really been working on. And the idea that, you know, they're going to rebuild the facility in exactly the same way that they did before without any of the recommended um, structural reinforcements that they would need to be able to withstand the kind of winds that tornadoes usually bring with them um, is just one more evidence of, you know, the real lack of worker safety and stuff that, like, really very, very little has changed. So you said in good and bad ways just a minute ago, so we'll talk about Josh Howley in a second. Um but before we before we get to that, I would love for you to talk about who is who are kind of some of your I'll just say like early members of your task force, where they are, why they joined, their legislative history, and if they if they are are or are not in states where they're going to potentially face term limits and you have to start all over <laughs> from scratch. 
Uh, so not too many of those. So uh, right now they're in New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Delaware. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to miss some people as I try and rattle off the list here. Um, but up in New York, it's uh, State Senator Michael Giannaris and then Assembly Members Emily Gallagher and Anna Kellis, who are fantastic. And actually, Assembly Member Kellis led um, a workshop on challenging big tech that we held um, a couple of weeks ago. It's online on our YouTube channel at Economic Liberties. Um, please go watch it because it's just it's just such a masterclass in why and how you need to uh, address concentrated corporate power. She represents Ithaca in the New York Assembly. You know, it's a college town, but also kind of one of those um, left behind forgotten cities in upstate New York. And she just has this great riff where she talks about if we don't get a handle on the power that corporations have both tech and not all of the talent gets poached out of Ithaca people come out of these great universities and have great ideas and what happens to them is they either move to Silicon Valley or New York City or their company gets bought up by Facebook or Google or you know Verizon or whoever and they have to leave and, and those jobs all disappear and the innovation goes away so it's just really great I really really highly recommend if you enjoy listening to this podcast you'll really get a kick out of listening to Anna Kellis uh, talk about corporate power for a while um, then we have some folks in Pennsylvania Representative Sarah Namorado and Representative Nick Fischitano who are pushing some really great legislation, um, a, a groundbreaking antitrust bill, a groundbreaking price fixing bill. Um, I think that the Pennsylvania House Democrats have really seized onto corporate power as an issue. And I think that the John Fetterman, the Lieutenant Governor who's running for the Senate there has as well, um, in a way that I think a lot of Democrats are not currently doing. I think they're really setting a, a good model for the country in Pennsylvania. Um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. We have uh, State Senator Robert Peters out in Illinois, does a ton of great work, represents part of Chicago um, that has, has had a lot of trouble with the kind of extractive corporate practices that we talk about all the time. Amazon warehouses, other big corporations coming in, asking for money, getting handouts, not providing things for the community. He's just a great champion. Um, and then down in Delaware, we have um, Representative John Kowalka, who's sadly retiring. And it's just been such a stalwart champion in a really tough state, right? Like you think of Delaware as like a little blue state, but in terms of corporations, it's corporate power. It's one of the worst, right? No, it's I, essentially I a tax haven. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't think of Delaware as anything but just a, yeah. a paradise for corporations. Exactly. So. It's a gigantic tax haven. It's one of the biggest tax havens. And, and you can just go back and see Representative Qualco for decades has been warning about the dangers of um, uh, some of the, the kind of coming, uh, the, the today's big like Goliath corporations, he was 10, 15 years ago warning about how dangerous it was going to be to let Amazon do what it's doing and let Google do what it's doing. Um, and has always been a really great champion. Um, and that's just the beginning. We're hoping to add more folks. We're hoping to add more levels of government. We'd love to get some county commissioners, some city council members in there. I think, as I said earlier, the idea is to get these folks together, share ideas, share best practices, and 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 really reinforce this this movement that we're trying to build um, because it's really important to do it to do it uh, across states um, both because again states have a ton of power and, and and can do a lot of really good things but also to push the federal government to take these to take these ideas seriously so when we're talking about um the american legislative education is it council is that the last is that the c and alec commission council uh whatever they are um alec basically is for folks that don't know i mean i would imagine most people that are listening to this on the heartland pod or who follow pat are pretty familiar with alec but alec basically is a lobbying organization and they're funded their initial wave of funding came from um 
your friends uh like the Koch brothers and people like that primarily them that helped essentially usher in an era where laws were being written outside of the states in which they were filed and so alec basically it's almost like they just they basically write legal templates they're just like well here's a law this is a bill you're going to introduce it and most of the time you if you are someone who is a democrat that serves in one of these states i'm not saying democrats haven't been guilty of perhaps supporting some of these legislative pieces of legislation it's very rare they introduce them most of the time they're introduced by um republican lawmakers uh any anywhere there there are alec bills introduced in california too kids very rarely though will these legislatures have any legislators have any idea what is actually in the bill right what alec and those types of organizations end up providing in states that have term limits is continuity because the continuity doesn't come from the lawmakers the continuity doesn't come from the people the institutional knowledge and the continuity comes from the lobbying organizations so and if you're not prepared to answer this question this is totally fine but how do you guys think that um fight corporate monopolies and organizations like you can help sort of fight that influence and provide that level of institutional knowledge and that and that type of continuity totally yeah i think it's a really important question and i mean i think the one of the kind of great crises of american governance is the inability of state governments to a lesser extent local governments to like basically fund themselves the number of folks that i talk to who are like in what would sound like pretty high powered offices and have no resources and no time and no staff you know i was talking to someone who used to be in the alabama state house and that's a tough gig for for anyone um but she was telling me that she shared one staffer with with three other members so it was one staffer with four members which is just bonkers. So of course, the people who do all the work are the lobbyists. So one of our goals is to combat that by connecting these folks together, but also providing ideas um, in the areas that we work in, antitrust, corporate subsidies, the big tech stuff. It's hard to do the like plug and chug because states do have different antitrust laws. They have tons of different subsidy programs. So we don't do a lot of the like, you can just write, like scribble in your state at the top of this bill and introduce it. Um, But we're providing the sorts of ideas that have historically um, worked to rein in corporate power. You should address price fixing. You should address your antitrust statutes in the way in which it's been weakened. You should address the, the ability of uh, corporations to extract resources through subsidy programs. You should address how big tech firms can stomp on both smaller firms and then the firms that are reliant on those tech companies to reach customers. Um, and there are a lot of great ideas out there. We didn't certainly didn't come up with all the stuff we're, we're um, um, promulgating, but there's right, uh, some of it we did. Um, but some of it is just like sharing these best practices, getting the ideas out there. So I think that is kind of how we see ourselves and our role and being a little bit of a counterweight to some of the the corporate influences out there but honestly like a lot of this stuff it can be appealing to uh, kind of traditional small c conservative folks i don't want to say like republican because the party itself is where it is but they're fascist now they're not they're just they're just fascist the missouri speaking as, as someone who's familiar with missouri republican party the um, Arizona Republican Party, the Arkansas Republican Party, the Tennessee Republican Party, the Iowa Republican Party, the Dakotas, they're just fascists now. So we're not talking about conservatives anymore. We're not talking about somebody who maybe has like, likes this idea of smaller government, who doesn't like the idea of like high tax rates because they're afraid it's going to get to them, even though you're always like, no, 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 we're talking about millionaires. We're not talking about you. Calm down. 
But, you know, ultimately people, I think you're right, that actual conservatives and not fascists are big fans of forcing corporations to pay their fair share. Historically, that's been a very bipartisan issue on the ground anyway, not amongst the politicians, certainly right. amongst the voters. And, and also fair, like fair dealing with small businesses, fair dealing with farmers. Like if you kind of think of like small businesses and, and small farmers are kind of like the backbone of what used to be right, the Republican Party. We always kind of considered them as um, affiliated more with the right, with the left. But those sort of folks can be brought around on these things because it is an issue of John Deere not letting you access the, the plans that let you fix your tractor of you know, Google refusing to like list your small business on Google Maps or getting the thing wrong and refusing to fix it um, or a Facebook blocking your or Amazon blocking your access to your customers. So you can actually bring around some of those folks um, who are maybe in a more populist vein or maybe just disconnected from politics entirely on some of these ideas. So I don't want to like throw it out there as it's just only this like, and I think we, I think we unfairly get pigeonholed sometimes and it hurts us politically, right? By saying, oh, this is just kooky lefty stuff. Um, I think it's not like really kind of traditional American stuff is to say no concentrated power in any form is bad allowing corporations to dictate the laws and the laws they play by the rules they follow the taxes they pay is bad like that's just a very like kind of traditional american thing that we've gotten away from in the last few decades and you know it's it's folks like us who are who are picking it up and trying to bring it back <laughs> well it's interesting we we can't avoid the conversation about agriculture um in in this part of the country and if you want to talk about the disconnect between Republican voters and the politicians they vote for, it was Republicans in Missouri that enshrined an era where it was okay for a Chinese conglomerate to buy Smithfield Foods for $4.7 billion, which is a song. And so now there is a, a, a movement to try and stop Chinese owners. So I feel like that's where a lot of the anti-Chinese sentiment in this part of the country comes from is because mm -hmm. that happened. The problem, of course, is there's this massive disconnect between turning to a Republican voter and saying, OK, but listen, that wasn't that was your party that did that. You voted for these people and still kind of trying to uncouple the voter from the party is still a real, a real challenge here because of, frankly, religion. Um, so I think there's, there's actually a really good example of this. Uh, going on at the federal level right now where there's a bill, a kind of small antitrust reform bill uh, that's going to the floor of the House has has passed the Senate in a slightly different forms so that have to reconcile it. Um, but it would basically say it basically does three things. One, it stops the ability of large corporations to basic to venue pick when they are facing antitrust suits. So like what usually happens now is a state goes and files an antitrust suit against a big company and then the big company asks to move the suit to somewhere where the court is going to be for political reasons more sympathetic so you think of google facing the suit from colorado and wanted to get it moved to silicon valley um, the second thing it would do is it would just increase fees for large corporations that want to merge in order to fund the doj antitrust division oh, so that's where that went okay i was wondering exactly. that's like one of the most important yeah. things that i felt like came out of the senate so that's where that is so, buried now okay awesome and, great and then the third thing is is that um large merging companies would have to disclose if they're taking subsidies from China. Three common sense things, and actually it's the Republicans right now that are tearing themselves apart over this bill. Um, you, there, there's a faction in the Republican party that's actually for it, Ken Buck in the House, 
Mike Lee and the Senate are, are banging on their colleagues to try and get it through. But there are there's this Jim Jordan, who I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with uh, Whatever, from yeah. up in Ohio. Yeah, um, is leading this faction um, uh, to try and stop it. So there is that like kind of tension even in the within the, the right, the, the conservative coalition about whether and how to address these things. And that kind of gets back to what we talked about a little bit at the beginning. I think it's really important for Democrats and for the left writ large to get on the right side of this stuff. And that's not to say that these antitrust bills are uniformly supported by Democrats. We have some problematic um, shock of shocks, just, Calif- just, California Democrats. Yeah, just just say <laughs> Dianne Feinstein, just, just say her name. Yeah. Problematic. Yeah. Um, but it's really important for the left to get this and get this right and do it right because seeding both the issue and then the policy to the right and their like silly woke capitalism and we're being censored, blah, 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 is really dangerous both politically and policy-wise, right? Because we're going to get a bunch of terrible nonsense policy, but also letting them seize the issue um, because voters rightfully don't like being pushed around by these giant corporations. Um, it would just it would just cause us all sorts of problems. So we really need to get this right as kind of left movement. Yeah, and it's really easy for a conservative to be like, I was tough on big tech and not say how, right? If you're tough on big tech from the Texas perspective, that's just stupid. And it's a terrible, like Texas's law has now been like thrown back to a lower court. Um, the United States Supreme Court stated its decision. I, we haven't talked about this in the pod yet because we, it's depressing enough to live in Missouri without making people talk about Texas all the time too. But we do talk about the governor's race there a lot. But there have been a couple of bills aside from the abortion ban that the Texas governor has signed. And one of them is the dumbest and mm-hmm. most, it's just it the, the law that they signed essentially would take power away from a tech platform to enforce its own speech policies which basically is like me saying you turning to me as a homeowner and saying if someone drops an n-bomb or calls your gay friend a word that rhymes with saget or starts making fun of you for being a jew you can't ask them to leave your house there's no right you like if you're twitter you can kick anybody you want off your platform it's your platform your twitter it can be fair or not it doesn't matter you're not paying like no one's paying for that thing it's free right so if twitter wants to say to me okay rachel you can't promote any of your content right now because it's too political in nature and we have a policy against that i don't like it but there's nothing i can really do about it it's their policy to enforce so that's essentially the stupid abbott paxton shit show yeah but so what we right what we need to do is we need to get these companies away from the business model that allows them to profit off of disinformation rumor mongering that is absolutely hey that is absolutely right? so correct like, yeah you need to just get away from this model that you know facebook and google exemplify of more clicks leads to more ads leads to more profit and what gets more clicks like the nonsense right the disinformation the rumors the wild stuff and so we need to turn these these corporations away from that model by getting them off of that sort of like that 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 business model entirely. But to your point, it's really easy for the conservatives to say, look, we're protecting you from being yeah. censored, bang, 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 without actually doing any of the work to get at their power. And their power lies in their ability to control this this ad market. Um, but we we just can't see that and and letting them win that area again, bad politics, but also just bad policy because if if the, the conservative ideas win out in that space, then we will never address where the real harms come from, which is the money. That's correct. And I think what the other one of the other dangers that we're in right now, if, since we're talking about technology and platforms um, is, you know, not just bad legislation, but like one of the challenges that I think we're about to hit on right now is that, 
you know, Instagram and Facebook probably, they don't want to admit it, but they just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. You know, like you're not going to die right away, right away, but like you're facing eminent mortality, at least in the United States. I think their business model is taking on water. Their numbers were bad last quarter and they're about to go. And so is Twitter. I think they're about to go on like the giant scrap heap of things that were once really popular that nobody like fucks with anymore. And I think what's going to happen as a result, I don't, I don't think I'm wrong about that. I think that, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen things go from being very popular to not very popular all the time. Like the recording industry has completely changed in my lifetime. Like, um, cable. Do you still, do you still have a MySpace account? <laughs> I do not. I never had a MySpace account. Damn it. Um, I was like, I don't like that company. Wait, who bought it? Fuck that. Hey folks, Adam summer here. Just wanted to remind you, you can get signed up for, our Patreon. You can get links to all of our shows, information about our hosts and what we do over at heartlandpod.com. Sign up for our Patreon. You get extra episodes, extra access. You can also follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on Twitter. We love to interact over there with at the heartland pod on Twitter. Just search for us and find the three leaves. Any place you find podcasts or social media will be there. Give us a rating. If you can five stars, really appreciate it. And now let's get back to the show. Yeah, just ask Rupert Murdoch if he regrets that investment. Um, so, you know... But what's going to happen, right, is they're going to try and buy their way. And you can already see them doing it. Is they're going to try and buy their way back into relevance. And, like, already Facebook shouldn't have been allowed to... to yeah, I don't, I don't like, think... That's just... Yeah, that's, that was, like, a, the, such a... And I think that because that happened, that probably won't happen a second time and like the this and and, and to, like what the the point i was gonna kind of the bigger point i was gonna make is that people under people follow those stories they're so big and they've they've taken up so much oxygen especially because of trump and his various social media bands and stuff that when facebook and francis haugen and certainly the work that she's done as a whistleblower the twiddle whistleblower the twitter whistleblower whatever his name is I just forget, who got like 25 million dollars in a separate sort of like weep not for that guy <laughs> um but anyway these are big stories. And so when you watch Facebook wash up on the rocks, you're going to high five yourself or the world. And you're not going to pay attention to Adobe buying okay. the, whatever the, the name of the um, design platform that they just, that they, they just announced they were buying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think justice should, and the FTC should definitely investigate it and things like that, because those are not big, sexy purchases, but they're very important and they're very critical to how our, our country works yeah, and um, a- amazon trying to buy one medical like you can just and it's gonna see, happen it, like it's yeah, definitely they're gonna be allowed where to where bu- they're going right yeah. and you know and and there's a part of like that's another really good example of like we all hate insurance i mean i'm guilty of this too when you look at an industry that's ripe for disruption we learned this with facebook right or with uber when you look at an industry that's ripe for disruption we welcome the disruption and we don't think about what the long-term consequences are so there's probably nothing more ripe for disruption in the american economy than the insurance industry and we you know we would be we would be mistaken i think we'd also be mistaken to think that stopping that deal from going through would change the long-term disruption of these big tech players getting into the healthcare space. I think that's just going to happen. We just have to be really careful about how it happens. So I would love to talk about, so you had like basically your inaugural conference, right? For, um, for fight corporate monopolies. And I'd love to hear just like how you think it went, who you guys had, 
how many it was all virtual right it wasn't in yeah person. so this is yeah this is actually through the other side it's confusing yeah i have like two hats oh sorry um, you have two yeah, hats I totally... okay that's okay go ahead explain Switch to me, educate yeah, me it's fine to, Put your other yeah hat on. so we did a three day three days of workshops with the american economic liberties project um on policies to to challenge corporate power at the state and local level the first day was antitrust um and we had minnesota attorney general keith ellison come and speak um, and he's been doing a really good job, both elevating that issue, but also then in launching some key cases in a tough state where they don't have a ton of resources for this kind of stuff um, around drug prices and on big tech. Um, and then day two was on the corporate subsidy stuff that you and I have uh, talked about for a long time. We had uh, Illinois representative Bob Morgan come and speak. He's one of the, the, the kind of great champions in the country on that issue and also is a real leader in trying to get states to come together in a kind of non-aggression pact on corporate subsidies, right? Because one of the biggest problems, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with this, uh, living where they do. And we uh, talked about this a bit. Yeah, the, exactly. The, last the, time, the border. Uh, yeah, the border. Yeah, border, border hopping corporations. Um, so he's one of the great national leaders of trying to get states to come together and call a ceasefire on that stuff, and basically have them uh, form a compact wherein they would all agree not to use corporate subsidies to poach businesses across. And state, state compacts are, are more common, I think, than people realize. Like that's how you. Them, yeah. That's how you get, for example, doctors that are allowed to practice. Mm -hmm in other states so even though doctors like, lawyers water rights nurses, nurses all kinds, yeah, yeah, all all kinds, kinds of, things, of things yeah um so yeah it's actually really common i forget the exact step but states are in something like 20 to 25 on each on average um so he's really great and then i already mentioned um assembly member new york assembly member anna kellis came uh, and spoke about um big tech um and then my colleagues and i laid out um our policy ideas uh, in these areas and it, it's certainly not exhaustive there are tons of ideas out here but these are the ideas that we think are really important um and and can do the most to really challenge power uh, corporate power from the state level um it all went really well we had fifteen thousand people come and stream the uh the events that's over the awesome place, which was wonderful um i think safe to say exceeded expectations uh, but i think is also reflective of how much energy there is around this and i think particularly now when you see folks looking at um a federal government that uh is likely to bog down into some gridlock um, in a few months, or at least there's a good chance um, they're, they're gonna start looking right to the states and see what they can do. Um, and so I think it was like really reflective of the energy around um, our project and the folks that we're working with. And so, yeah, it was really exciting, exciting to see. And now, right, the hard part is um, getting the ideas from on a piece of paper or a PDF document into, into actual law somewhere. Well, I trust that as soon as you have something to report about uh, any any law that's been introduced anywhere that has at least gotten out of committee, we'll have you back on here talking about it. Because, I mean, so... we had, yeah, we had we've, we've gotten an antitrust reform. We like I did it personally, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, an anti a really good antitrust reform bill um, sponsored by one of the, the guys I mentioned earlier on the task force, Senator Giannaris up in New York, has gotten through the New York State Senate twice, um, each of the last two sessions, and it's run aground in the assembly. They also, in the New York State Senate last year, passed, um, I think we talked about this a little bit, passed a bill to ban non-disclosure agreements in corporate we subsidy did, yeah. bills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they got that through the New York Senate. It was 61 to nothing, actually, talking about how some of this can have wow. some, some cross-partisan appeal. 61 to nothing through the New York Senate, the assembly wouldn't do it. This is one of those places, right, when you're talking about New York, like we dealing almost exclusively with Democrats. So now you're having to kind of fight through the, well, and you're the, also the breakdown like, of what the Democratic coalition I've... is. But that that was really exciting. Um, and, and so we're hoping to build off that. There are great bills in Minnesota and Pennsylvania and Illinois on a bunch of this stuff last session uh, and in Delaware. Um, and, and they're actually all over. Um, I'm just thinking about the ones that kind of like pop to the top of my head. Um, Maine actually did a great um, 
has a great new law um, that stops big box stores, Walmart, Target, Lowe's from gaming their property taxes that I really wish more states would pick up. Um, so there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. So we won't actually have to wait that long to have some cool stuff to talk about ahead That's of so great. 2023 legislative sessions. I have to ask about possible. So if you're talking about Missouri, the way that we get things done here is through the ballot amendment process. Um, we just talked to, oh gosh, I'm going to forget her name. This is terrible. It's because I didn't write it down and I talked to a lot of people these days, which is great. But um, a professor uh, who works at Penn, who did a, a web series, or excuse me, a podcast series about um, folks that pass ballot amendments and work on ballot initiatives, because in places like even Pennsylvania, they still don't have, a, they haven't had a minimum wage increase for like 25 years or something. Uh, so other states like Missouri have increased our minimum wage through the ballot initiative process. Okay. We expanded Medicaid through the ballot initiative process. And so I think you know where this question is going to be. Can you see a future where you might, uh, either through American uh, economic liberties or through uh, fighting corporate monopolies, do you see a time where you might actually get involved with stakeholders in places like Missouri and so forth to get some um, ballot initiatives on the ballot? 100%. Yeah. Um, we actually, we were um, working with some folks up in uh, Camden, New Jersey on a, a really interesting ballot initiative that would have, so Camden is, in, for folks who aren't familiar, it's kind of notoriously poor and picked on city in Southern New Jersey. Um, and the, uh, the state really kind of experiments on them in terms of economic development and throws tons of subsidies at the city, but it all gets gobbled up by this kind of South Jersey political machine, um, which is again, talking about blue states that the, the Democrats who, who run South Jersey are notoriously corrupt and awful and they basically hoovered up all this money for themselves. So anyway, the, the New Jersey Working Families Party and a bunch of other great um, organizations launched an effort to get a question on the ballot that would have required Camden businesses to simply disclose how many of their employees are from Camden, with the point being, right, hey, you've gotten all these subsidies, you've collected all this public money, are you actually hiring anyone from our city? Uh, and they're actually so successful that they got the city council to just adopt the, the new law entirely so they don't even have to go to the ballot. Um, and it was really great and they did, they did some really wonderful work. Um, but so like, that's a long way of saying like, yes, absolutely. I think you can get at these questions um, through the ballot initiative at a state or local level. Um, a lot of the, I think the kind of simpler um, corporate subsidy stuff, just kind of banning, the worst like break because that's what ballot initiatives are, are are kind of best for is is it would pass really it, simple ideas it would pass it would banging something, them through. something like that in st louis would pass overwhelmingly yeah the, and the st louis could, voters already like we're one of the first cities <laughs> to just say you may not build a stadium with more public money are you kidding yeah, totally um so you could do a lot of really good good work uh, on that i think and and yeah it's absolutely something that is that is on the radar so I wanted, we talked a little bit before we started to uh, record that there were a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about in general, um, because it's not often that I get somebody who's like a legit antitrust expert. Usually it's just me and the podcast that I listen to and my poor long suffering husband, who's like, are we really talking about antitrust again? I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we are. So the first is, um, Amy, speaking of Minnesota, um, Amy Klobuchar, I think, however you feel about her uh, on the left, I think she's a bit of a divisive figure with hardcore lefties. However you feel about her on the left, I think that she's done an unimpeachable job of uh, not just introducing legislation, but really just grilling people in her subcommittee um, from Silicon Valley. And to, just, so, I, just to kind of remind folks of this, one of the challenges we have in America is that the two states that to produce the most amount of Democrats outside of Illinois 
are New York and California, right? Like the big, right now, the big figures in national politics who come from, who in, in democratic circles are typically from one of those places. And in California, if they're from the North and your name is Dianne Feinstein, you have the Silicon Valley monster telling you everything you can do. And in New York, it's Wall Street, right? So it's very difficult to get people in uh, sort of well-funded democratic circles to take on some of these bigger sort of anti-corporate issues. And I I really have to commend Senator Amy because she's from a state that doesn't... And, and Denver is now... Colorado, I'm going to have to add onto that pile because there are so many large tech companies that have opened um, pretty big operations and Denver is a big startup community and so forth. So Colorado is now becoming a, a place where it's going to be very difficult for you know, um, a Hinkenlooper or a Bennett, if he wins re-election, to get on board with stuff that's going to affect, you know, the the big Googles that are in his backyard and stuff. But Amy's done, I think, a pretty good... I, I watched her, a bunch of her subcommittee stuff, and I thought she did a really, really good job. So let's... If you can talk about some of the... There, I think there's what... There's one... There's one Klobuchar bill that's still out there. So the one that you just talked about was her work. That was some of her mm-hmm. handiwork. And her her big... Uh, impact there is giving more money is taking money from these mergers and giving it to the FTC and to the Justice Department. So, like, I'm not sure if it's still going to the FTC. It may just be going to justice. Yeah, now. Don't, yeah let's let's know. That's one of the big criticisms from the right is that the money is going to the FTC. It's not it's just going to the DOJ antitrust division. <laughs> That's great, though. That's Which good news. Great. Like yeah, you just... really, you really do want, you really do want. Yeah. Like when you, if you look at what Lena Khan's been trying to do, like her, want to talk about somebody who's just like, okay, but everybody's a, a Goliath. And like, I'm not even David. I'm like, I'm not even in the Bible. Like that, the 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 Republicans have done such a good job of kneecapping the FTC over the last fifty years. Um, I think one of the best things that Biden has done is really reorienting the FTC and the DOJ antitrust division through his personnel choices um, to focus much more 100%, on these kind of amen. important questions, like yeah. not not just Lena Khan, who's great, but uh, Jonathan Cantor at the DOJ antitrust division um, just gave a really uh, a good speech the other day that folks should go and look up. And it's really, really kind of tackling the, the problems that those two entities have not been willing to tackle in any real way for a very long time. Forever. Um, and that, yeah. And that's just like, it's just, it's just putting the right people in those places. And I think Biden like should really be. And, I, and also doing. like, it, I'll remind people that like, you know, that, that impacts a culture at these, at these. So, so even mm-hmm. if the, even if the, that the heads are forced to leave because of, you know, political reappointments and so forth, um, the information that say like, so no, no one, Silicon Valley really does not like Dr. Tim Wu. Um, I have, I've had my own fair share of frustrations with him. I think he mm-hmm. kind of carried Google's water for a long time in ways that people don't particularly, I mean, he did work at their think tank. Um, however, big tech really doesn't like Tim Wu and he is basically like Lena Khan's right hand person at FTC now. So that's, I think all of that is very interesting and I'll be really interested to see how that is in, in fact going to impact the culture of sort of anti-tri- antitrust sentiment um, in the United States going forward. And Klobuchar also tried to help out newspaper publishers. It didn't really end up working out as well as she would have liked. Um, that, um, that bill did get out of committee though last week. It did. That's it did. true. That's After true. they, they rejiggered it a little bit uh, and it did come out of committee. There's still, so, so there's still some hope. There's still some hope. Yeah, there's, there's stuff happening. So what do you, th- so the last, so as far as I know, the last of her bills that still might see the light of day is a bill that would help to govern how marketplaces and big tech companies are allowed to compete against other sellers on their own marketplaces. I think that's the only one that's left. Am I right about that? 
So there are actually two, though. They're okay. kind of, their fates are tied in a way. So one is um, exactly what you said, and I'm going to get the full name of it wrong, the American Choice and Innovation Act or something, something like, that, like yeah. that. Sure, yeah. Um, which goes exa exactly what you were saying. Yeah, the ability of a platform. And so when you hear platform, it's, you know, Google, Amazon, um, folks like that. To, yeah, self-preference, which means list their own products uh, above those of other competitors that are using the platform. So right, Amazon Basics um, is the kind of key example of this. And we've, I'm sure, all heard the horror stories about Amazon copying products that are selling well on its platform through third parties and then making them Amazon Basics and then putting the Amazon Basics result above whoever was successfully selling the product before. Right. Or, so or also not making it clear that it was an Amazon-owned product. That was the other one that they totally. did. You're just, you would have no idea. And Google has its version of this, which is to direct users to Google Shopping or Google Flights or Google Maps over better information elsewhere. And there have actually been some really interesting academic studies done on this, that users prefer what Google's algorithm would naturally show them if Google didn't intervene in this way over what they end up getting, which is Google preferring its own products over. So yes, there's that bill. And then there's, it's called the Open... Open App Markets Act, I believe, though, again, I might have gotten the name slightly wrong, which is the federal version of a bill that exists in a ton of states, and this actually gets to some of what I'm talking about, the positive feedback loop, um, that would change the way that um, Google and Apple can treat developers in their respective app stores. And so those two bills, the self-preferencing one and the app market one, are kind of like smooshed together and kind of seems like they're either going to both go through together or both fail together. Like if you had to do an over under, I mean, I, I haven't looked at what Josh Howley has said in a while. These were things that he initially was really supportive of. Um, he was also very supportive initially of the idea of, of, of taking down Google. And then he was like, oh, wait, it's going to help newspapers. I changed my vote. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. um, so so where do you see? So so somebody like Ken Buck in the House, do you see his support as being helpful? There was also grassley uh, mm -hmm. in this early in this session was somebody who was talking and about he's still, he's still been banging on and he co-sponsors at least one if not both of those you know handicapping congress is like something i am just terrible you're just, at. You're just not gonna doing, do it all right i've been doing really such a disservice if i tried to like guess that i mean i think the interesting thing right is there's going to be a lame duck session probably after the election and those sessions like all bets are always kind of off right because the politics gets super weird correct um, in those where you have outgoing folks um you know who feel they're they are finally free of the of the politics but it's because they're retiring or they lost or they just won re-election and don't have to think about an election for a while if you're talking about the senate um so the politics get 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 really goofy in a lame duck session um so i kind of wouldn't bet against anything uh happening during that session but yeah it can be hard to tell i feel like there's also been, I think, a kind of concerted effort amongst both the tech companies and then and then the press, right, which in a lot of ways is beholden to them um, in ways that the, the journalism bill that we talked about would really help um, in kind of telling this story of these measures being dead and uh, it, having it be done and dusted and it's never going to happen. And they're very interested in kind of pushing that narrative and kind of make it, making it self-fulfilling. So I'm not sure I would say they have as little of a heartbeat as like you're reading in the, in the headlines all the time. Um, but as far as like chances it's going to pass, who knows? All right. 
no handicapping coming from from that's fine i'll uh we'll talk about we'll talk I mean, about just, it, it after just, the fact it, it also just like changes right like it depends yeah. on how, how 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 good i'm feeling that day how good my coffee was <laughs> no shade you know, what what no time shade. my toddler got up in the morning so how cranky i'm feeling <laughs> um, you know because i do state work mostly and yeah and, and and my colleagues say that they can you know they can they can judge by my mood by which like chamber in which respective state i'm cursing about that day so like oh right, right. it's only september and he's cursing about the new york assembly uh oh. I don't know. I'll just. I need to shout it again to the to to our Democrats in the Missouri uh, House and Senate. I except for one, he knows who he is. He can go fuck himself. Um, but everybody else, everybody else except for Steve Roberts. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's exhausting and tiring, and we don't know what we do without you. You so right before we hit record, I saw that one one President Joseph R. Biden made an announcement that got the quite literal thumbs up from you. Um, about some antitrust executive orders. I didn't see what they were. Did you look into them? Do you know what's going on there? So this Anything is part, else to say? Yeah. So he actually had, this is, this actually dates back to earlier in the administration. They put out this long executive order basically directing all the agencies to look at competition issues. Uh, and they held a, a yeah, meeting that was, of this those competition were the hap- council. Those were, the, those were the happiest fucking days of my life. Yeah, I was just totally. like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a meeting of the competition council yesterday and they came out with some new rules on uh, uh, airlines and agriculture. And and to be honest, I don't like, I haven't gotten to the ins and outs, but I think kind of gets back to what we were talking about a little bit before. There's There's something very worthwhile about just changing the tenor on these issues and addressing them and talking about them and like using the word monopolies when you when you're talking about public policy and and he has and, and president biden has done more than president in like i don't know 50 years just since, really since teddy attention do you yeah, think since tr i think probably yeah and just like really focusing on Stuff. I mean, you know, FDR was uh, was not too bad on on, on this issue either. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> uh, but he didn't. De- he he wasn't the one that deregulated the that regulated the railroads, right? Like yeah, yeah. that was such a big deal because nothing in it like that had ever happened in American history before, totally, right? Totally. Okay, yeah. So that was um, a big deal. Anyway, but you yeah. know, I always go I always go back to you know like like it's just like the kind of gold standard for me of uh, of de- of democratic politicians. You know, the like the, the the bankers hate me and I welcome their hatred. Like, yes, exactly. Like, that's what you should be saying. But anyway, yeah, President Biden uh, has been doing a lot just to focus attention on the issue. And I, and I think it's really important and just kind of talking about the, the concentration of corporate power in a way that's relatable and, and acknowledges the issue and they're taking their small steps through the agencies to address it. Um, and I just, I think it's really, really important and commendable. And I think he learned a lot. I mean, I think a lot of what, I see Biden doing has been in his own way, a bit of an apology tour for some of the Obama years, especially because tech had, I thought had such an outsized influence mm-hmm. in a lot of the decisions Obama made. I heard Kara Swisher, who's one of the people that I listened to when we were talking about kind of the Silicon, the worlds of Silicon Valley. Cause she doesn't, you know, she's beholden to literally nobody. So she's usually pretty reliable for um, good stories and good opinions about tech platforms. And I guess she went to a dinner with Obama and he said, so if you were me and you were going to talk about what to do about big tech, this is recently, what would you do? And she said, I can't tell you what, what he said to me, but I can tell you that was his, his question. And my answer was get in a time machine and listen <laughs> yeah. to what I told you in 2007 when you didn't, when you ignored everything that I said. And the other, to be fair to Obama, so he did very not, he did absolutely nothing to prevent, say, the merger between Facebook and Instagram. They did stupid things 
which was to focus on so book publishers wanted to like just kind of get some money out of Amazon and so they helped co- they cooperated to help set pricing for Kindle books and the FTC went after yeah. them for that. I was like, you dumb asshole. So just things that were so misguided and then Obama, to be fair, did try to be impactful in regulating the the poultry business. And I think like Biden probably was had a first row seat, unfortunately, to how difficult that was. So I do feel like this is him um, using some of those experiences, hopefully to hopefully to good end with the uh, actual working good folks so, <laughs> in America. Uh, oh, it's so cringy, right? You go back and look. Your your listeners may be able to fact check me on this, and they're gonna like not be able to find it. But I'm pretty sure when like Obama went and visited like an Amazon warehouse and did this big glowing event in an Amazon warehouse, and I think I wrote a column at the time being like, what? is this i would have been at us news and world report then like this is this is no good at all how on earth are you are you holding this up as like the kind of next great american job um but yeah there's a lot of honestly if you and your and your listeners want to like go really really deep on the ways that the obama administration failed on this stuff um my organization did a whole report called courage to learn his texts are 180 pages it's a book yeah his about tech- how terrible uh, they were on, on corporate concentration. And I want to read that book. Got away from them. Um, uh, it's out there. It's really long. Again, it's called Courage to Learn. It's on our website. It, it's uh, it was a lot of work. Um, but right. But I think this all kind of goes back to it's really important for Democrats to reorient around this stuff, both like policy and well-being wise, but also just politically on the ground. Cannot, cannot, yeah. cannot let this yeah. get away. From and us. I think and I think for um, before we close that, I just want to say, like, there's been. I think a real backlash and the notion this is true certainly for climate issues that we can consumer our way out of this. So like a friend of mine that my my friends I'm I'm known in my social circles for being the person who pays attention to these things quote unquote. And so a friend of mine said what can I do instead of buying stuff on Amazon and I was like oh god I have to tell her how AWS works. Okay. Um and I was like, so Amazon doesn't make as much money from retail as it does from leasing out cloud space. That's how they're able to charge such little money. I was like, their retail only started making money a few years ago. And she kind of got her eyes kind of glazed over. And I was like, you can't consumer your way into a fair and equitable consumer product space. It's just not like going to Target and buying your toilet paper. That's if you want to feel good about yourself and that makes you, that's fine. I mean, Target is, has their own issues, but at least they have physical stores and they certainly can be quite additive to communities, um, except for the places where they also are the, the, the beneficiaries of, of, uh, of, of TIF policies and stuff. But you can't, cons- my point is you can't yep. consumer your way out of these things. It's impossible. Like, so hopefully. And I think, right, there's like, there's a movement on the left where too often we fall into that trap of thinking that we can either boycott or beg our way out of these things. And I think the like, the kind of asking Facebook really nicely to do better moderation policies, like, no, that's not gonna, you have to use policy and law and regulations and change their business models. You're not like, like listeners couldn't see, I was just nodding vigorously to everything yes. you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. saying. Yes. All those things, how yeah. You can't consumer your way out of it. And you shouldn't have to, right? That's correct. That, that responsibility should not fall that's to correct. the individual. That's correct. These are, these are issues that we should be dealing with collectively through our laws, through our elected representatives. It like, it just shouldn't, it shouldn't fall on you to buy your diapers in a particular place to make like our our economy work like that just that's that right be that's right but i do think that we are uh you know these pendulums have a way of moving around and um 
I know I said I was going to close up, but I, I really want to get your reaction to this. So I think one of the things that has sort of helped this particular, I'll say, awareness, increased awareness around this issue, right, is that the industrialists are quite romanticized in American history. They were terrible people. Henry Ford was a terrible human being. The Rockefellers were horrible people, right? Carnegie was a horrible person. All these people were awful. But um, if you're talking about somebody who pulled oil out of the ground or invented the the assembly line and left in, in their in their namesake these like legacy companies, they are romantic figures, right? Walt Disney is another one. These are horrible people, but they built something from they're seen as being these people that built something from nothing. So they're again like they're quite romanticized figures, and it's you cannot. There is nothing about Jeff Bezos. Or, I mean, people don't even know who runs Google. Um, if I, I'm sure if I showed people a, a picture of Pashar, is it Sundai Pashar? Is that his name? Shai. Pashar, yeah. yeah, anyway, if, if, I, it, yeah. If, if, I, if you showed me a picture of him, I'd be like, oh, is that him? I've only seen him a couple times. Nobody knows who Schmidt and um, the other one, his co-founder, were. But either way, even if you looked at pictures, they're not going to inspire you. They're, they don't have the same connotation to sort of American uh exceptionalism that like henry ford does or whatever so i think like every single time elon musk has to be dragged into court to be forced to honor the terms of a fucking contract he signed or every time jeff bezos is like crying with his brother on the launch pad of a rocket that he built um on the backs of the american taxpayer that sentiment gets worse not better but you're right the mistake would be to think that that alone is going to do the trick like just because tim cook leverage some really powerful weapons at Facebook and Facebook's earnings are just going to, I mean, again, they're just going to keep getting worse and they're headed towards the graveyard, whether they know it or not. We can't allow those things to be where the argument starts or stops. So on that note, I hope you're going to come back and keep us posted about what you're doing and how things are going and some ways that um, even as desperate as things are, I, th I think the here in, if I had to wager a guess that, it's going to be the municipalities in Missouri that, that are impactful in these areas. So um, I would love for you to come back and, and talk about that a little more. That sounds perfect. Awesome. Thank Thanks so much. The Heartland Pod is a production of Midmap Media, LLC. Follow us on Twitter with at the Heartland Pod. With email, you can reach us, heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com. Online with heartlandpod.com. Subscribe. And please sign up for our Patreon with patreon.com slash heartlandpod. Become a podhead or an official podgressive today and unlock all of our content. See you at the next show.